You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. It's Tuesday, September 22nd, 2020, just after market close in New York. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington. It's TG Tuesday. I sit down with Tony Greer to discuss markets. But first, Haley Drasnan with the day's stories. Haley, welcome back. Hey, Ash. Good to be here. It's good to have you. What are you looking at today? There remains a lot of uncertainty still in the global economy. And, um, you know, I think that this volatility is going to persist in the coming months. Um, however, equities, you know, are on the rebound today after a sell off yesterday. And this was led by the tech sector. Uh, uh, oil took a dive and um, yields on 10 year Treasury notes also fell. Yeah. Flight to quality bid in U.S. Treasury markets. Bond prices rise. Yields fall. What else are you looking at? Investors are paying close attention to, I think, um, several potential risks, one being, you know, possibly decrease in odds of Congress passing a stimulus bill before the election, you know, the CARES Act. Um, today, we saw Fed Chairman Jerome Powell and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin uh, possibly talking about access to the Main Street lending program. PPP loans have dried up. Stimulus checks to unemployed are, are not enough. So uh, they really need Congress to spend more here. We're seeing uh, a deadline on this is unclear because, you know, over the weekend, the passing of the Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, that seems to be a priority, them wanting to fill that vacant Supreme Court seat and uh, not really focusing as much on uh, the potential of the CARES Act. We're also seeing coronavirus cases continue to surge in the U.S. We're about to pass 200,000 coronavirus-related deaths mark, and uh, the Britain government now is also weighing a a potential second lockdown there. Um, so, you know, we saw uh, the markets react to that. Um, also, a uh, potential government spending bill needs to be passed uh, to to avoid a government shutdown. Um, and so the Democrats, Democrats unveiled that today. Um, however, the Republicans pushed back because they want more farm aid in there. Yeah, a lot happening in the U.S. and in the world. We're also seeing XLF sell off over the last two days, which is interesting to note. Yeah, the sector spider for financials, KBE off as well over the last two days. Yeah, and, and I think it was because of uh, the investigation into banks, you know, about 90 financial institutions, um, you know, suspicious uh, fraud there. So um, we're going to monitor that. Yeah, it's trillions of dollars of uh, potential fraud uh, that we've seen uh, money laundering activity, pretty staggering sums. Also, um, you know, as a follow up to our intern Bryce on the daily briefing yesterday, an interesting report out today showing that um, there has been a spike of COVID cases because colleges and universities have resumed in person classes. And um, while, you know, Bryce might not have been going in person to his classes there, you know, some still are offered on the University of Miami campus. And this just goes to show that, um, you know, we're right smack in the middle of it all still. Yeah, I mean, it is just an incredible logistical challenge to think about how we're going to get this done with uh, university students. And also, it kind of foreshadows what may be to come 
uh, with uh, primary and secondary schools as they begin to open up in September. Yeah, and uh, I also want to point out our new content campaign um, has everything changed. You know, we we launched it this week, and we're diving into uh, the shifting trends across industries and um, how the impact of COVID has either you know accelerated or caused uh, these changes, and you know what industry leaders are are doing from the top to ad- uh, to adapt to these. Um, so you know, go check it out on Real Vision. Yeah, and if you haven't seen Rao's update on the unfolding thesis, check it out. It posted yesterday. And today we have Jim Berry, the U.S. real estate leader at Deloitte, giving us an overview of the commercial real estate market and really diving into how they have had to adapt to uh, different technology and remote work um, in different subsectors of the industry, you know, residential, office, retail and hospitality. Yeah. Once again, Haley, lots going on in the world and lots we're covering here at Real Vision. Haley Drazen, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Ash. See you later. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. TG Tuesday, Tony Greer, welcome back. Let's get it on. What's happening, Ash? Tony, we got some action in markets. What are you thinking? Exciting. They're fantastic markets, Ash. That's the first thing that I think when I wake up every day because it gets you, you know, straight out of bed, straight to the screens pretty quickly when we are operating at this level of volatility. And we the market has gotten pounded sort of into and over the weekend. And then over the weekend, this BuzzFeed FinCEN files comes out, you know, about money laundering at the big banks, implicates Deutsche Bank, JP Morgan, HSBC, right? Like high drama stuff. Yeah. And it's trillions of dollars. Unbelievable. And they're doing business with people like Gus from Breaking Bad and the Taliban. And it's really unbelievable. Yeah. Not good guys. You know, U.S. equity markets, all three major indices, uh, S&P 500, uh, NASDAQ and uh, and uh, the Dow Jones all off five percent from their highs. From the highs, yeah, but we're doing okay, though. I think all things considered, Ash, you know, let's, uh, you know, back up to the markets, going back to that FinCEN files, that's, uh, you know, the reason why I think, you know, banks and energy stocks started off this week in the hole and have sort of have remained there. Uh, obviously, the FinCEN files and BuzzFeed are the reason for the financials, you know, with um, HSBC making a new all time low, just collapsing, Deutsche Bank collapsing towards its low. So that weighs on the, banking sector. And then we've got, you know, a lot of selling still following through in the energy sector. Um, there isn't a, I don't see a really good excuse for it, but energy just seems to be the sector that continues to get pounded. And technology seems to be the sector that continues to pull itself, pick itself up and dust itself off after pullbacks like we just saw this week. You know, it was really amazing to see, um, you know, we had negative optics yesterday with 200,000 coronavirus cases. Uh, We were coming off of two weeks where the market backed three weeks in a row where the market backed off. We finally got the S&P to close under its 50-day moving average, and everybody got really bearish. We come in selling oil stocks and bank stocks and register another big negative tick index print yesterday. So, you know, that sets up for today, which I'm calling turnaround TG Tuesday, um, because we got our third consecutive big tick index print. So now all the selling has been done. everybody's bearish. And now we see the floating away that we're seeing on the screen right now. And I won't call it floating away, 
But, um, you know, FANG stocks are up 4%. The subsectors of tech that we've been talking about for weeks now, rallying back today, up 2%. Internet, social media, software. We've got Aurora Cannabis leading the cannabis sector higher today. So we've got home builders rallying on existing home sales. So when these kinds of things are happening, Ash, like I said, we go back to that story where we've got a, a baton pass of different things motivating the markets every day. And that's how I'm looking at it. Yeah, uh, obviously a deeply tragic story, that 200,000 fatalities in the U.S., Mark. Uh, but beyond that, when when we think about when we think about just some of the, the technical points, you've unpacked a lot in that last bit. So let's go through it one by one. First of all, uh, talk about the tick data and what you're seeing there and why you think it's significant. Yeah, Ash, because in the 10 years of bull market trading that we had coming out of the financial crisis hole, call it, if you were astute in following the tick index, you were noticing that in a bull market run, there would be reasons for stocks to sell off. And they would run into days where you would see two and three days in a row of extremely heavy selling. And in an uptrend, in, an, in a multi-year secular uptrend, those were your chances to get in, right? If you were playing this market from the short side for years and years, first of all, you've been getting buried. But second of all, you know that your exit windows are about this big and they last for about two seconds. Um, in market time. And so when the market is starting to show that type of behavior and that type of pattern, that's something that you latch onto as a place that you can think about buying stocks on the dip once there have been several consecutive days of extreme tick index prints. Right. So For those who don't follow the, this index closely, this is basically a measure of advancers versus decliners uh, in the New York Stock Exchange. And it's uh, obviously a key technical factor. Talk a little bit about the levels and how you assess that data. Yeah, sure. On a run-of-the-mill day, Ash, uh, with, say, a summer day with not a lot going on, where the market's just a heartbeat and trades back and forth, you will have the tick index trade between, say, plus or minus 500. When they're buying stocks, it goes to plus 500. When they're selling stocks, it goes to net minus 500. Um, during the, let's call it the lockdown sell-off, for example, that behavior became, obviously, several extreme sell prints on the tick index and then what will happen is on the downside you'll see the lows in that index print between minus 1500 and 2000 mm -hmm. and what that means is that there's that many securities trading the bid simultaneously and that there's nobody being price indiscriminate right so people are exiting and liquidating and so once you see there are several days in a row of liquidation in a bull market then you know that, you know, maybe somebody got out of some big positions. Maybe there was a small blow up, you know, something like that. But it gives you confidence to say, OK, we've got some selling in the rearview mirror. Maybe this is time now that the index is pulled back into support levels that we can buy it again and, and catch the next leg of this rally. So it's kind of, um, you know, just putting a lot of market diagnostics together to fill out the full picture. And that's just one very minor, um, you know, minor little gauge on the dashboard, if you will. Right. Uh, very, very interesting stuff. I also wanted to talk a little bit about uh, energy stocks and tech stocks. You mentioned those uh, as being what you think of as sort of key bellwethers for sentiment or things that you follow very closely. First, uh, let's talk about energy first and then go into tech. I'm curious what you follow on the energy front. Do you look at big energy producing companies? Uh, do you look at the, uh, the underlying commodities themselves? And if so, which? And if we could talk a little bit about how you understand those uh, that data. 
Well, in terms of energy ash, I like to, I prefer to trade the commodity because it's a sort of smaller world for me. And there's a smaller set of things that I need to pay attention to, to assemble a view in crude oil, for example. So, you know, of late, we've been watching, obviously, the calendar spreads to see whether the market's tightening or loosening in this phase of the lockdown economy, whatever sort of post phase we want to call that. And so I've developed a view of oil down here that's essentially, you know, bullish, but not always a reason to be long, right? If you're bullish oil and don't think there's tremendous upside at the moment, then there may not be a reason to be long, but you can maintain a bullish posture as part of your worldview. And so sort of down here at the price of production, that's the way I've been postured towards oil. And with the full traders mentality that on you know on dips we want to take a chance and potentially buy it if i'm bullish so at the cost of production down here i'd rather play oil to the upside because a trade a commodity trader like me is too paranoid to get caught short the price of a commodity at the cost of production because that's something that you get fired for when you're a commodity trader so um, in the it's in the sense that we're only trading oil from the long side down here with a sort of positive view that we're going to start flying again. We're going to get back on the road and the world's going to come back to life. We can take a look at the energy stocks, Ash, but the energy stocks have decoupled from price action wise and trend wise from the commodity a long time ago. And, and in traders terms, a long time ago, meaning a period of months, maybe a year or so, they've been really, really heavy. And maybe longer than that, but they've been heavy and underperforming all the other sectors in the markets. In fact, they've shrunk to the smallest percentage of the S&P that they've ever been. Right. So we're at an amazing, amazing you know, inflection point, I think, in the fossil fuel industry because oil is being thrown out like the baby with the bathwater. Oil stocks are being thrown out. Um, a lot of it, part of it has to do with their lack of performance and the number of probably weak performing stocks or bankruptcies and frackers that aren't going to perform well with a high cost of production with oil down here. So that's part of the weakness in the energy market. And then the other part of the weakness is the shift to, you know, sustainable energy. And then the other weight on the market is the actual embodiment of that in the investment world, which is ESG investing, right? We've got environmental, social and governance conscious investing. So obviously their idea is to pitch all of their fossil fuel stocks at any cost. And they're no longer looking at companies as whether or not they're profitable doing it, what they're doing, um, whether they're increasing margins, sticking to what they're knitting, sticking to their knitting. They're yeah. now saying fossil fuel sector bad, must not own fossil fuel sector. And then at some point, they'll sell all of the fossil fuel stocks and more and more and more and more and even more bad news will come out about fossil fuel stocks, but they will have stopped going down. And that's when we'll know that we've got a tremendous turn in this market. And I'm excited right now because just yesterday, my good friend Jared Dillian came out with a real contrarian call and a real call based on the sentiment reading that he is outstanding at, a masterclass trader at. And, you know, his call is that we're around a bottom in energy stocks in the long term. And Jared's not a day to day trader like me, but rather a sort of regime trader. Right. right. Jared, if he's looking at stocks, energy stocks, he's saying, you know, over the next several months, they're going to go from being very out of favor and not performing to they're performing and nobody knows why. And this is what happens when 
sectors get beaten down to levels that they can't go any lower. Um, what's what's really interesting to me and, and, and a fabulous side story to this story is that Jared, one of Jared's sentiment calls like this happened in 2011, and I'll never forget it because the banks were literally getting slaughtered, right? It was, it was Barack Obama's administration. Banks were very much under the microscope. Um, you know, they were being dealt with and sometimes pejoratively coming out of the um, great financial crisis, et cetera, et cetera. And there were just no bids for banks. And then they set up camp in Zuccotti Park in September of 2011. And all of a sudden, the bank stops stocks, which they were all protesting, the big banks, right? That was their big thing. The stocks stopped going down, and they went on a run for four years. And the louder the drum circles at Occupy Wall Street got, the farther and more furious the banks rallied that they were protesting against. And markets have a habit of doing things like that. So we'll see now that energy has literally become like the criminal sector of the Dow, of the S&P. Right. If you're long energy, you're not woke or anything like that. You know, you're contributing to the, the demise of the environment. And at some point, somebody's going to come along and look around and realize that there's millions of cars on the road that are still uh, gassing up at the gas station and thousands of planes taken off every day that are needing jet fuel. And somebody will buy these assets that are being, you know, drastically, drastically devalued. So if there's a value play to be had in the markets now, to, that's to me worth studying and waiting for. It's energy. So, so as of that call by my friend Jared, I'm going to pay close attention to that, and I'm going to apply my science of following beaten down stocks and looking for when they turn. And so I'll be coming up with some of the short term calls if he's right in his thesis when price action agrees with his fundamental and sentimental analysis. And we'll have some really exciting trades on the upside. So that's really good posture and position to have here as we end the third quarter looking for the fourth quarter of the year to have follow through, you know, like I'm looking for the fourth quarter of the year to have follow through in a lot of sectors. And if there's going to be follow through to the downside in energy, then we're going to have an even better chance to buy them closer to the lockdown lows and even cheaper. So my sleeves are really rolled up in that energy trade to bring that sort of full circle right there. Ash. Yeah, that's extremely well said. Tony, I'm curious, when you talk about watching this closely, applying your science, what are you going to be looking for to know when that momentum swing happens? In other words, what are the particular points that you're going to be following closely when you think that that's happening to know if it in fact has? You know, I'm a ham and egger when it comes to technical analysis, Ash, and uh, I like to follow trend lines and I like watching moving average action and how stocks actually behave in between those moving averages and you know i'm always looking for that down trending pattern to turn up and start breaking to the upside where it starts trending back above the moving averages and so those are the kinds of, of turns that i'm going to be looking for in energy some of them have sort of happened already but with this last leg down um we're going to get another opportunity for another up leg and it'll be it'll be really interesting to see if that's a major turn or just uh, a minor turn but at some point, these things are going to be totally, totally washed out in price on the downside. And that's exciting. Yeah. All right, Tony, I've got a technical question for you. If I'm watching over your shoulder, what's on TG's terminal? What are the time horizons you're looking at on those moving averages? Are they simple or exponential? How do you how do you position your terminal when you get this uh, data coming through? Everything I look at is the same, Ash. You know, it's trying to screen different um, securities through the same filter. 
And that's how you see what really jumps out. And so I'm using the 50 day, the 100 day and the 200 day. I got those from the Murphy's technical analysis book that I read in 1992. Um, you know, nuts and bolts, basics, keep it super simple. Um, you know, back then I was drawing uh, trend lines with rulers on, you know, point and figure charts to figure out where price and things was going to turn. And luckily, Mr. Bloomberg has made it very simple for us and we can draw them on the screen there. So, you know, it's that kind of pattern where you've got a security falling with its moving averages and following a straight trend line down. And all of a sudden we get to the bottom, everything gets sentiment, gets washed out, people get good and short, and all of a sudden you have a big turn. And we recover the trend line, the moving averages. You usually get a couple of retests of the moving average just to make sure that you're right and to give the real bulls a chance to buy one last time. And, you know, a lot of times you get to follow through on those. Sometimes you don't, but, you know, I'm, I'm leaning on our ability to be disciplined in trading them that they'll be profitable either way. Yeah. You mentioned uh, you mentioned the banks a little bit earlier. XLF, KBE had a rough couple of days. What are your thoughts right now, uh, obviously, on what's happening in that sector uh, relative to some of the news flow we've gotten? Part of the big rotation, right? I think it's part of the big rotation. I don't think that it's fatal for the banks. I think it's terrible optics that the public now knows that a lot of them are doing money with uh, doing business with criminals and in the uh, interest of profiting. Uh, I think that that is a story that is um, nothing new under the sun, as they say. I think it's probably something that we may have suspected for a long time. And now that it's out, we'll have much less of a reaction than it should. But, you know, I think that that's probably a temporary story driving the financials right now. And while it's good for a couple of basis points, a couple percentage points, um, the bottom line is that banks always get to this level where somebody comes to the rescue. And with the Federal Reserve postured the way they are now to, you know, be ready at a moment's notice to take assets on the balance sheet, expand the balance sheet, add more liquidity, add more monetary, add more fiscal. You know, I'm not going to think that the banks are going to implode and go to zero. This is just an episode. So everything that I'm looking at now, Ash, doesn't point me toward a major curl over in the markets or that we've reached a peak in the bull market. Um, just because Apple and Tesla split and stocks backed off, um, everything else I'm seeing in the macro world is leading me to believe that this rally is sustainable. And that's how I'm trying to play it. You know, the banks are just to come full circle. Uh, this is just an episode where, you know, like we were we were beating on brick and mortar for a couple of months, you know, several months ago. And then we were uh, beating on the airlines for several months, you know, and then all of these sectors are going to make their moves and they're going to re-engineer their finances and they're going to cut bodies. And next thing you know, you're going to look down and it's going to look financially like a totally different company. And next thing you know, it's going to attract buyers. So, yeah, you know, these are all these are all patterns and cycles that we've seen before. You know, talking of patterns and cycles I've seen before as someone who's worked at a bank, I can guarantee you that there are some bank CEOs on Zoom calls first thing this morning calling some guys out on the carpet and saying this has got to change. I don't like being on the front page of The Wall Street Journal. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Absolutely, man. It's not, it would be nice that if that's going on, that maybe they'll clean up their reputation in that particular arena. 
But, um, you know, they seem to be t- they, they, they come back around to Wall Street banks every 10 or 20 years and find something to, uh, you know, tear them apart about. This seems like something very serious, but, you know, we'll see. Yeah, I can tell you this. If I'm a bank CEO right now, I'll say let them come back in 20 years when I'm living in Florida. Yeah, exactly. Long gone from this mess, hopefully. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, Tony, what else are you looking at? If I come down to it, you know, we want to pay a little bit of attention to what the market's doing today when Mnuchin and Powell are out there in front of the U.S. House Committee. You know, I mean, we got the FOMC meeting last week that created a little bit of an FOMC flop. And this is the narrative that I call it, uh, that that I, I, I see the pattern recurring over and over and over. So everybody meets in the huddle at the Fed meeting. And the Fed is a quarterback and tells everybody the plays that he's running, that he's going to be taking things onto the balance sheet and be there with forceful, aggressive and proactive action to fix any problems in the economy. And the market breaks and goes on its run and and markets inflate and assets reflate. And then we get to an FOMC meeting and he comes out and says little new and the markets sell off because it's a sell the fact event. Rinse repeat until the next Fed meeting. So what did we learn at the last FOMC meeting? Rates are going to stay low through 2023. They're still going to try to let inflation run hot. In fact, we just had Bullard come out and say that the Fed will be much less preemptive about raising rates like, duh, like we didn't know that. But he's claiming that the Fed's approach to inflation is likely to work. So that's interesting. So that leads us into a direction of, you know, figuring out where the inflation plays are going to be. You know, Bullard's coming out saying that they can tolerate two to two and a half percent inflation for a while, that they have enough fiscal in the pipeline for the recovery and that the presence, uh, excuse me, the ingredients are all present for inflation to start picking up. So I'm not going to fade that because I'm, I'm not smart enough to outsmart Jerome Powell. So I'm sitting here looking for evidence in the markets that inflation is coming. And we're seeing that signs of inflation, you know, manifest in the market where we're just this week and the last week, actually, we're seeing lean hogs and live cattle pick up and rally. We saw soybeans rally on a headline that China is going to be more buying more American soybeans. And so those are the sort of little, I guess we can call them green shoots of inflation that we're seeing in the commodity markets after we've already seen these big, major, major trend moves in base metals and precious metals, both higher in reflection, once again, of all the monetization that's going on. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I guess it's always this open question about whether uh, Mr. Bullard is something of, uh, of an outlier hawk. Uh, on inflation right now? That's an open question. You know, I heard uh, Jay Powell say, basically, uh, for as long as it takes, we've got your back. And look, S&P up on the day, 1%, uh, regain the 33 handle, 33.15. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's one of those things where all of the bears, are, Ash, we, we do this over and over again, right? We have a pullback in the markets, the bears start beating their chest. And the next thing you know, like we said, if you're short, the window to cover is when the bears start beating their chest. And it seems to be now where we came in and we should have had, we should have been in the third week of a major NASDAQ curl over and rather it's holding support. And after the S&P closed below the 50 day last week, people may have been expecting some technical follow through there. And here we are bouncing out of the lows. Now the week is not over yet. It's only Tuesday, but 
like I said, with the gyrations that are going around in the macro markets and different securities and different sectors taking their turn and rallying, it doesn't seem to me like we're heading into an all asset class sale type of risk off time period. It really doesn't. Yeah. Takes a lot of nerve to take a big short position in this market. Man, not my style. Not my style of trading at all. <laughs> Tony, we covered a lot here today. If you could sum up for us what your final thoughts are uh, and what you're going to be looking for in the rest of the week to come. Yeah, Ash, I'm still focused on those inflation plays. I'm still focused on, you know, seeing um, I want to see commodities rally and I want to see it translate into the sectors that it traditionally translates into when you get a full 11 sector participation S&P rally day. And, you know, we're going to we're going to be we're, we're a long way from having everything rallying again. I still think that we've got to churn a little bit in this area, the S&P. But you'll know when bull market conditions take over again and we're going to come in one day and there's going to be another M&A headline and that sector is going to take off and run. And it seems to me that even after last week's semiconductor headline, right, NVIDIA for ARM holdings and then semis rallied and then crashed, well, they're coming back again this week. And if this was going to be a big market curl over, then this week's semis would still be under pressure. And they're not. There's no follow through to the sell off last week. So, you know, those are the kinds of things that give me confidence to remain bullish in the big picture because we're trading this market and the Fed is inflating it. And I would say consistently trying to look for the inflationary signs in the market that haven't been there lately. You know, we've been beating in marquee headline numbers and CPI and PPI. You want that to continue. We've been beating X food and energy. You want that to continue. And like I said, the right sectors of the market seem to be making their way to the top now. We saw steel stocks rally last week. I don't know if it's sustainable, but we're seeing chemical stocks rallying recently. It's contributing to the basic material strength. So, you know, all of the, we, we keep going around in a circle and picking on a different sector to rally. And to me, that's just too much of a bull, powerful dynamic to fade. So I'm looking for these inflation signals and I'm looking for the market to take them and run with them, Ash. I really am. Yeah, a lot to think about. TG, Tony Greer, editor of Morning Navigator. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, my man. We'll see you in a week. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.